Hello, my name is Shirzad Shamin, and you're listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Hi, everyone. This is Tavi Nasir, and on today's episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, I'll be talking with Shirzad Shamin. Shirzad is the chairman of CTI, the largest coach training organization in the world, which has worked with managers from most of the Fortune 500 companies, as well as with faculty from Stanford and Yale Business Schools. In addition to coaching hundreds of CEOs and their executive teams, Shirzad also lectures at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business. Shirzad's first book, Positive Intelligence, Why Only 20% of Teams and Individuals Achieve Their True Potential and How You Can Achieve Yours, has already become a New York Times bestseller, earning critical acclaim in a number of business and leadership circles thanks to the insights it reveals from the fields of neuroscience, psychology, and organizational science on how to improve both performance and personal fulfillment. Hi, Shirzad. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tanvir. Thank you for having me. Most of us are familiar with the importance of IQ and EQ in leading today's organizations. Your book focuses on another element that you describe as playing an equal role in our ability to succeed, and that is positive intelligence. What do you mean by positive intelligence, and how does it impact our ability to be successful in our efforts? Uh, well, let's start with the definition of positive intelligence. Uh, your positive intelligence score is your PQ, and your PQ is the percentage of time that your mind is serving you as opposed to sabotaging you. Everybody has a PQ score from somewhere from 0 to 100, <clears throat> and it, it's based on how much time their mind is sabotaging them versus serving them. So immediately, I am starting with the premise that every single human being is uh, at some level in self-sabotage mode, often without having any clue that they're doing so. And immediately you would, uh, you would begin to understand why it's pretty critical to understand uh, when we are self-sabotaging and how to stop that. Now, just to be clear, I think a lot of us are familiar with negative self-talk where our inner voice challenges or questions our abilities to overcome a particular obstacle or our understanding of a particular situation. But what you're referring to in terms of what impacts our level of positive intelligence, it's not so much something that's as obvious as the instances of negative self-talk because we often tend to view it as being a protective mechanism, something that's going to cause us to avoid maybe some potentially negative or disastrous outcomes. Uh, yeah, it, this is far more than just saying, hey, do positive thinking. That has almost become a cliche, and this, is, this goes far deeper than that. So basically, to give you an example, <clears throat> what I've identified is 10 uh, saboteurs, uh, modes of uh, thinking that are modes of your self-sabotage, and they have names like the judge, the controller, uh, the stickler, the pleaser, avoider, victim, restless, hypervigilant, hyperrational. A lot of these you wouldn't necessarily think about as negative thinking. The hyperrational saboteur actually appears like incredibly logical, good thinking. But it's still quite destructive uh, if somebody has a strong hyperrational. Or the controller may not at all come across as negative thinking, 
but it's also quite damaging to a leader who happens to have a strong controller saboteur. So it goes far beyond just saying do positive thinking. You mentioned these 10 different types of saboteurs all of us have uh, to varying degrees, and obviously it's easy to see them in leaders who tend to be micromanagers or perfectionists. And yet the reality is that we all have variations of these saboteurs within our minds impacting and influencing what we do. Now, assuming we haven't lived a harsh or difficult life, how do these saboteurs come into existence? Yeah, that's a great question. First, to address the fact that we, have, we all have them, <clears throat> only 4% of people that I work with at Stanford, uh, where I lecture on positive intelligence, only 4% of them say they don't believe they have saboteurs. And I even tell, uh, they don't believe they have saboteurs that do significant harm to their ability to reach their potential. Uh, so the rest of them say they do have saboteurs that are doing significant harm to their ability to reach their potential for either happiness or success. So the, the fact that these are universal uh, is, uh, has been shown over and over again. Now how they start and why they are universal, Tanvir, to your point, they, they start uh, early in our childhood and they don't happen just to those of us who have unhappy, unhappy experiences. Uh, life is a relatively threatening place for a child that's, that feels uh, in some vulnerability, both physically and emotionally. And the saboteurs are the initial construct of our mind that comes in to help protect us emotionally or uh, physically. So my job is to help people expose uh, and reduce the power of these saboteurs that are running interference with uh, a lot of things that they try to achieve in life. And, and that's the key point, right? The goal here is not to get rid of them. I mean, a lot of times when we think of something as being negative, we just want to get rid of it. We want to completely excise it from our life. Whereas in your book, you point out it's not really the goal to get rid of them, but simply to lessen the level of influence they have on our perception and our behaviors. And what I found interesting is the way you say that the best way to go about doing this is by simply acknowledging or labeling these negative thoughts when you have them, identifying what's the source of those thoughts that you're having when you're having it to distinguish when it's something that might be uh, beneficial, when it's just your saboteur trying to basically hold you back. Now, how does that exactly work in diminishing these negative influencers just by identifying or labeling them when they happen? So uh, you're exactly right that the key step is identifying them when they're happening. And uh, the reason that works is that uh, basically, a lot of these saboteurs have pretended all these years that they are your buddies, they are your friend, and when they, they, when they tell you something in your head, you should follow them. So the first step, the most critical step, is to identify these saboteurs and basically understand their thought patterns and emotion patterns and convince yourself that these are not your friends. The controller, the stickler, the hyper-rational, the avoider, the pleaser, they have all convinced you that they are helpful for you. You need to expose the fact that actually they aren't. What this allows you to do is that in real time, then when the controller or the victim, whatever, uh, gives you a command in terms of how to interpret something or what action to take, then what you can do real time is say, oh, there goes the controller again, there goes the victim again, there goes my judge again. And in that moment, all I want you to do is identify that thought as the saboteur thought and then let go of that thought rather than, rather than follow it. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, to just give you an example, let's say you have the judge saboteur. And let's say the thought that happens in your head, uh, in the old days you used to say, I think that I am going to fail tomorrow. That would have been a judge thought. But what I want you to be saying now is, oh, my judge is saying that I'm going to fail tomorrow. Just notice the difference between saying, I think I'm going to fail tomorrow versus my judge says I'm going to fail tomorrow. The mere act of uh, labeling the thought as a saboteur thought and no longer owning it as your own instantly reduces a lot of their power and credibility. How can we tell, though, when we're being critical of something that it's negative and not a legitimate criticism? Say, for example, uh, if you have a team member that's underperforming and you want to address it, how do we know whether our actions are being fueled by one of our saboteurs, like the hyper-rational, the controller, the, the perfectionist, and not because we have a legitimate reason to address this employee's performance? That's a great, great question. And it, uh, basically, it's about the difference between, say, judging versus discerning. So let's say an employee has made a mistake for the third time in a row. Uh, that it's, it's very discerning for me to actually look at the facts and say, this employee has made the same mistake for the third time in a row. So the discerning part of me says, likely that this employee is going to repeat that mistake for the fourth and the fifth time. That's discernment. That's not judgment. The way I know when I'm being discerning versus in the saboteur mode is the emotions that I'm experiencing. If I am feeling really pissed off, unhappy, feeling superior, uh, feeling angry, any of those things, as I am looking at the employee's behavior, then I am in the throes and clutches of my judge saboteur or my brain has gone to a place where it's not very productive. But in discernment, then I can ask myself the question, uh, what do we need to do right now with this fact? And at that point, what I, uh, what I suggest is for people to begin to activate a different part of their mind. I call it the sage voice rather than the saboteur voice. And the sage voice has five great powers that are mostly untapped in people. And you can take any challenge whatsoever and resolve it using your sage voice without any of the dramas of the saboteur. So, for example, in this particular case, the first question the sage always does is deep exploration and curiosity. What could possibly be happening here that has this employee repeat the same mistake for the third time? Maybe they're not get, getting enough uh, corrective feedback. Maybe they are in the wrong job. Maybe they have the wrong attitude and they really are the candidate for being fired. There could be a whole bunch of actors including coaching them, including uh, incentivizing them differently, or firing them. I don't know what the right action is until I engage a very calm, centered part of myself that begins with curiosity, with empathy, with creativity, and finally with resolute action. And the action might, be, might well be firing them, but if, you, if the right action is firing them, I want you to do it without any drama and emotion and anger and superiority or any of that stuff. Can you fire somebody with great compassion and understanding and even help them find the right job? But if you, if you do that through the sage, that's how, you would, that how it would help. I have fired some people in my company who have come back two years later and said the way I fired them and the coaching that they got was life-changing to them. And it was the best thing that ever happened to them. That's the other way you mentioned your book as to how we can raise our positive intelligence is by learning to rely more on the perspective that you refer to as the sage 
and the five related powers. And one of them that you described in your book that I enjoyed was the power of empathy. And you mentioned how for us to be empathetic to others, we first need to empathize with ourselves. I think another critical point that we often confuse is that showing empathy to others, we shouldn't confuse it with agreeing with them as it is showing an awareness or appreciation for what the other person is experiencing. And I think that's one of the reasons why we avoid empathizing, because we think that means I'm approving of what they've done or their position. And as a consequence, I'm negating or giving up mine. Yeah, Tanvir, you're, you're illustrating the great difficulty of when we are in conflict. One of the first things that goes out the window in conflict is that we really stop listening to the other person or empathizing with the point of view precisely because of what you said. Because we think the moment we empathize with them, we are agreeing with their position. But you don't have to agree with somebody's position. Uh, empathizing with them is the first place of connecting with them in a way where you can listen to each other. But even before, more important than empathizing with others, I think, is empathizing with yourself. And empathizing with yourself is something I rarely see in high achievers because actually most high achievers that I work with, and I've worked with hun literally hundreds of CEOs and their executive teams, they, uh, they are really hard on themselves and are constantly beating themselves up for not being as good, as smart, as uh, perfect as they would wish to be. And this is very much a lie of the judge saboteur that keeps telling you, in order for you to be successful, I need to keep kicking your butt and I need to keep pushing you and I need to keep beating you up over your mistakes. It's a lie of the judge. The fact is actually that is quite destructive. That keeps draining your, your energies and you can be much more compassionate uh, towards yourself and empathetic towards yourself after you make mistakes. Uh, when you show up as imperfect, that's a better way of feeding yourself and charging up your battery so you can go do better next time. That would be the sage way of, of dealing with mistakes rather than the judge way. What's particularly interesting about the opposing nature of the sage and saboteur is that they're not only diametrically opposite in how they have us perceive a situation, but as you note in your book, they also have different physical locations within our brains. In many ways, this is similar to the challenge we see in today's workplaces, where there's this growing demand for us to be able to tap into our creative right brains instead of relying mostly on our analytical left brains. Uh, yeah, th uh, yes, ex what you're pointing to, Tanvir, is that we literally, literally, we are of two minds. Uh, at, at any given point, the question I have for you is which region of your brain is activated? Unfortunately, about 80% of the time, uh, most people are in what I call the survival brain activation. The survival brain has a lot of the left brain and the limbic system and some other areas of the brain that are focused on danger and surviving dangers. And all the saboteurs come from that region of the brain. And the problem is that that part of the brain was really built for running away from a short-term threat of a tiger in the jungle, running away from it. That was the job of that part of the brain. But unfortunately, we are living almost in a perpetual mode of running from tigers, which creates a huge lot of stress. And also, uh, the problem with that part of the brain is that it's not intended for creativity and for finding opportunities. It's wired 
for looking for dangers and avoiding danger. So the other part of your brain that is a lot more based on the right brain, on the middle prefrontal cortex, and uh, some other circuits I call the empathy circuitry, the totality of that part of the brain I call your PQ brain, your positive intelligence brain, that part of the brain is where the sage voice lives, and it's far more in touch with powers of the sage, such as deep exploration, great empathy, great creativity. It's a part of the brain that looks for opportunities and seizes opportunities and creates out-of-box possibilities, rather than just keep looking at signs of dangers and live uh, not to lose, which is what the saboteurs do. This also ties into a number of studies uh, which have shown that how we feel at a given moment or time has to do with which region of our brain is active and not so much the person or the situation itself, which is why you write about the third strategy for increasing our positive intelligence is by exercising what you refer to as the PQ muscles. Right. So uh, so now you're talking about the, the strategies for increasing positive intelligence. There's a strategy of just learning how to activate the PQ brain and quiet the survival brain. And uh, it actually is relatively and almost misleadingly simple. The way you activate your PQ brain is for at least a period of 10 seconds, which is about three breaths, you want to shift your attention as much as possible to any of the physical sensations of your body. And it doesn't matter which physical sensation. So as somebody is listening to this podcast right now, they can begin to shift to the PQ brain region of, of their mind. If they, for example, begin to feel the weight of your body on your seat. So if, if right now you begin to feel your the weight of your body on your seat or feel the back um, of the chair pressing against your back or feel your feet on the floor, or even begin to hear ambient sounds you may not have heard until now, or begin to pay attention to your breath. There are a hundred different ways, and a lot of them are fun ways uh, that, I, that I write in the book. Uh, if you do that for a period of about 10 seconds, you get this muscle of the PQ brain being exercised once. And my recommendation is that you get about 100 PQ reps a day, have 100 instances where you shift to physical body awareness for about 10 seconds or three breaths. And that builds up a muscle strength that one day you see yourself going through a crisis at work and all of a sudden you realize, wow, I am in the middle of this crisis. I am dealing with it and doing exactly what's needed to be done, but I'm not at any moment taken uh, in the, into this roller coaster. I'm feeling completely centered and calm while dealing with the crisis. That's a sign that you have developed your PQ brain muscle so that you are handling the crisis from the uh, sage seat of the PQ brain rather than the saboteur seat of the survival brain. So now that we've discussed what positive intelligence is and how we can increase it, let's talk about it in practical terms. Specifically, how can this help leaders manage their teams better and how can it help employees to do their jobs better? Well, the connection is huge. The book is written, uh, the subtitle of the book is Why Only 20% of Teams and Individuals Achieve Their True Potential and How You Can Achieve Yours. Uh, so it's, it very much goes to the fact that every single person working for a leader is a mixed bag and is only reaching 
uh, a very small subset of their potential. They are a mixed bag of saboteurs and sage. And the way I redefine the job of the leader is how do you create an environment where you bring out the sage in this person reporting to you and quiet their saboteurs. You're creating an environment where everybody's positive intelligence level goes up and that then gets directly connected to how much of their potential they reach. Uh, in studies that I cite in the book, uh, a sales uh, person whose positive intelligence has, has uh, increased to a high level, they end up selling 37% more. A leader whose positive intelligence has shifted to a higher level, uh, teams reporting to that leader tend to perform 31% higher on average. So the, the, the impact on performance is tremendous when a leader is able to increase their own positive intelligence, which is a very important precursor for a team to almost automatically begin to shift to a higher level. Uh, there are mechanisms that I talk about why that is so, but you can, uh, as a leader, absolutely impact the positive intelligence level of everybody on your team. Well, Shirzad, I want to thank you for this fascinating conversation. I mean, this is certainly a, a deep and expansive topic, and I appreciate your helping to give some insights into this field and the benefits we can achieve by being more aware of these divergent perspectives and the impact it can have on our individual and team performances. Uh, thank you, Tanvir. And I got to give you a compliment. Of all the interviews I have had so far, and I've had many, you have demonstrated by far the greatest level of understanding of the, the book, its concept, and its power and potential. So it has been a real pleasure speaking to you, and thank you for spending the time to really under understand the concepts. Well, thank you very much, Rizad. I appreciate that. As I told you before we started this interview, I really enjoyed this book, and I found it both fascinating and practical on how we can improve how we approach our work and, and do our job. So thank you very much for taking the time to share that with us. Thank you for having me. I've been talking with Shirzad Shamin about his new book, Positive Intelligence, Why Only 20% of Teams and Individuals Achieve Their True Potential, and How You Can Achieve Yours. To learn more about Shirzad's book, as well as how you can take a free online assessment to determine the PQ scores for yourself and your team, visit the webpage for this episode at tavernasir.com. And that concludes this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we discussed in this episode, as well as what topics you'd like to hear in future episodes of this show. You can do this by leaving a comment on this episode's webpage, or by filling out the contact form at tanvernasir.com. Until next time, this is Tanvernasir. Thanks, everyone, for listening.